Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation that I had with Mike Reed on the afternoon of May 14, 2016, in his office in the Roscoe Village neighborhood of Chicago. Mike is a Chicago-based musician, composer, band leader, and arts presenter who plays in several working groups as well as in many ad hoc improvised contexts. You're currently hearing me talk over a truly killer Matthew Ship solo on Reese's Waltz by Mike's group People, Places, and Things from their 2015 album A New Kind of Dance. At the end of this interview, you'll hear the Steve McCall burner, I'll Be Right Here Waiting, from Mike's trio with Nicole Mitchell and Tamika Reed from their 2015 album Artifacts, which consists of compositions by musicians from the AACM, Chicago's legendary association for the advancement of creative musicians, of which Mike, Nicole, and Tamika are all members. In addition to being a musician, Mike is a prolific arts presenter. He runs two venues that are central to the scene in Chicago, Constellation and The Hungry Brain. He's deeply involved in the city of Chicago's free public music performances, including helping program the annual Chicago Jazz Festival. And he's also central to organizing the annual Pitchfork Music Festival. To 
to find out more about Mike's different projects, upcoming performances, and that sort of thing, check out mikereed-music.com. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at now-is.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played for Mike. Feel free to also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Mike Reed. So this is probably some Julian Priester thing. Yeah. Yeah. Who's playing drums on this? I don't know. I would... It sounds really loose, like an Art Blakey thing, but I don't think it's... I don't think it's him. What makes you say it's not him? It's not him. You're right. Um, Because it's way too snappy. This is maybe like... Um, I don't know. I mean, so this maybe it's Kenny Clark, something like that. Maybe I don't think it's Philly Joe. It is. Is it? Yeah. Okay. And the licks it. sound like Philly Joe, but the drums don't necessarily. I mean, like the way they're tuned. The way that they're tuned are very loose, which is you know, um, maybe it's also this is maybe like a. It's okay. Yeah. Right. 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 With the, uh, right. This is like maybe his only blue note record. Is this? I'm not sure if it's his only one. I think that, yeah, because most of those were, I think, were like prestige recordings that he did. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, this showcase. Right, right on, yeah. No, the licks sound like Philly Joe, but the, yeah, the sound of the drums, so that might also have something to do where it was recorded. Yeah, very articulate. Yeah, what about the licks? Like, what's the. Well,. So all this type of stuff, it's like you can really tell like his rudimental training, you can hear it. You know, it's it's you know, like Blakey would do more like the press roll sort of things. That's why I was waiting for the intro to the sort of like the, the blowing thing. Um, because he would play like a big press roll into the top of the team. This is all really, you know, very specific. I mean, you can hear the snare drum uh, uh, capabilities, you know, which is, you know, it's a, yeah, he's got all these really wonderful sort of licks, you know, based on just yeah, the, like the first like really like ten to twelve rhythms. So, yeah. so I read in an interview you say that um, when you're practicing, you think of Philly Joe Jones. Well, yeah, I mean. I, well, that's what I wanted to play like, and I still kind of think about it. So, you know, like these roughs that he's playing all over the place is really like... What is just, I don't know. It's like, it's a, big, it's, it's a very simple sort of, you where your one hand sort of delivers like a buzz into uh, a, a single stroke on, with the other hand. So there's variations on that, you know, like a, a rough... Um, you know, like that okay. type of thing, and he'll just play these, you know. So he's kind of doing it, you know, that and like Radham McHugh's, which is a variation on this sort of buzz stroke to uh, a single, you know. And yeah, he's kind of really makes it real musical, you know. Yeah, but he has like this thing too. It's like which uh, when he's riding with the ride symbol. It's almost as if there's somebody else playing the snare drum because it's so independent, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. He's great. He's like maybe my favorite. Uh, 
John Gilmore Clifford Jordan, blown up from Chicago, uh, was a status quo. Yep. Yeah, this is a tune written by John uh, Neely, who was a tenor player here in Chicago. He, uh, and he wasn't really that well known, from what I understand, he was more kind of known as an arranger. Led some big bands and stuff. He plays on like maybe one of the first Chicago jazz festivals leading an ensemble. And from what I understood, there was, he had gotten, he had had a stroke or something, went to the hospital, then out of getting out of the hospital, got shot. Um, yeah, but he, you know, is contemporary of like, yeah, John Jenkins and Julian Priester and Von Freeman, John Young. But yeah, I mean, this is Blakey. Yeah. This is Blakey. It's like, I mean, I think, I want to say it's, it's a chorus silver on piano. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I forget who the bass player Curly is. Curly Russell. Curly Russell, yeah. Yeah, no, this is a, it's a great, great track. Um, but it's what's interesting about it is that they're, they're playing this dude, John Neely's tune, uh, but he, I mean, he's not, I don't know why you'd be playing his tune. He's not like very well known outside of Chicago. But they choose this tune to play. So that must have probably gotten played a bunch at some sessions in town or something. You know, maybe like a, a popular local tune or something like that, you know? Sure. Um, but I think it's interesting because, yeah, it doesn't really, uh, It's not like playing like somebody playing a monk tune or somebody playing, you know, a tune of some like, you know, Sonny Rollins tune, which might have made its way all over the, you know, world. This one. Sure. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you if this, this is, um, is, does it make sense to think of this as like a Chicago record or a New York record or is it? Well, this is, it's a great marketing vehicle for two people who have basically left <laughs> Chicago. Oh, by you this know? point, they both left. Um, I mean, this is what, 57 or something yeah. like that? Isn't Gilmore still? Gilmore would have been still here, you know, but it's a good marketing vehicle for, you know, Blue Note to sort of put out there, blown in from Chicago, you know, right. it's like sounds right. the Windy City. Yeah, so, okay, so is that you know, just, is but that there just was a Johnny Griffin, I mean, like, Chicago calling, like, you know, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, because the rest of the band isn't, you know. Right. Uh, but then it's like you have something like Will the Chicago Sound, which is like, that's a full-on Chicago, you know, thing. Um... So yeah, no, that's. Uh, I think it's more of that, and I think this is the only track on there that is from somebody in Chicago. The rest of it is like I think there's a couple standards on there, and then like, I think even Horace Silver has a tune on there. So you know, I mean, uh, probably just like a very easy sort of marketable way to put it out there, but nonetheless, great record, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anything about Blakey? I mean, he's not doing a whole lot right here, but... Well, this is when I kind of like him at his best, you know, I mean, he's kind of keeping it real nice and easy, but it was, I was saying earlier, it's like when you listen to this, it's like he's got those big, uh, like, at the, you know, basically the turnaround to the top of the tune or into a bridge, like he sets it up real big and usually with like a nice roll, you know, whereas like Philly Joe is like articulating, like articulation is like this thing. Blakey's thing is so much more of like a more of like a rolling sort of approach to playing uh, and setting up, you know. But this is really like it, this is there's like kind of like a Blakey sort of shuffle. This, he's not really doing it here, you know. I think this really it really comes into play a few years later when the Messengers really are, you know, at the height sort of the early '60s time period, early you know 
62, 63. Um, but yeah, you know, and here, I love that. That's a nice fuck up. Wait, can I go back? Can we hear yeah, that? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically they haven't decided that they're going to start trading, so half the band is in when the break comes, and half the band hasn't relinquished it to Art Blakey because, you know, um, yeah, it's like so. And then he doesn't, so he doesn't get a nice entry point. Here it comes, here's the going trade. You know, right there, it's like, whoa, dead space. And then he kind of, oh, That was sure, where I, the other tenor was supposed to come in? No, know. that's where the drum break, because here, here. So we're going to start trading some fours, right? Okay. And, uh, fours. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like they sort of flubbed it, you know? And, that's great. Yeah. But here, all this, it's just, he's just it's rolling, 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 rolling. Rolling, 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 rolling. You know, like instead of, you know, just all these sort of like open rolls. You know, instead of what you can say? Well, instead of like Philly Joe, where it's like, you know, he's just like, just a continual sort of movement almost. Sure. But nice fucking way into the top end. Nice and strong. Yeah, great, great track. That's cool. Is that is that your original insight that that was a fuck up there, or do you, is that like everybody knows that? No, I mean you. Can, they're all over these records because they're just you know they're like well the rest of the take is strong so let's just go with it. Um, but yeah, I mean it's a it's a total screw up because. You know, I mean, as you're sort of taught to play these parts, well, we're going to trade fours, eights, sections like that. You know, you kind of want it to, when you come in to play it, you want to come in strong, or at the very least, if you're not going to come in strong, that you understand that you're leaving space to create something else. Here comes the horn, he's going to take the first four, and then boom, hand it off, there's the drummer. Problem is, it's like they didn't tell anybody else. <laughs> so the rhythm section is still sort of playing, and Blakey doesn't really come in, it's like, all right, here's my four, bam, here we go. Yeah. It's like, no. So it's kind of, you can, uh, messed up. But it happens all over the place, all over yeah. every bandstand. People are making mistakes all over these records, these really amazing records. Of course, they, people want things to be done well, maybe as close to being detailed out and make it work, but obviously even the best don't do that. They make their mistakes, and I think that can be very relieving then when people are trying to learn and yeah, how to play. You know, there's mistakes. You make them. Well, you always will. It's Max Roach? Yeah. Yeah. The tom usage is, uh, yeah. But the sound is <laughs> Yeah. So you don't know this one, you just recognize it from the toms immediately? Yeah, I don't really think. solo recording? It's not. It's solo for a minute or two. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I, Max Roach is, is amazing and I really, you know, I, he was a, a, a drummer that I got into early on. I think there was a, it's like a Max Roach first Team Cooper record that I got. 
for a second they were trying to make him to be one of those types of drummers. But um, as the years have gone on, you know, I there's a lot that I was like, eh, and uh, not so much. But you know, there's this certain records that he made as a leader in the '60s that are actually more important, like as a leader sessions, like kind of even more amazing. Um, not even his playing on it, just the records themselves. Bittersweet <laughs> right. percussion, something like that. Yeah, it's like, wow. So, um, as a drummer, like, he's not somebody that I think about very often these days. You know? But although still, you could you recognized him immediately. Oh, yeah, no, I, I spent a lot of time listening. And yeah. I'm curious what, what, what this is. So it's a duo with, with Archie Shep. Okay. He made some of those records, you know, like there's a one with Dizzy Gillespie, and I think there's a Braxton one. Mm-hmm. It's one with yeah, Taylor. I mean, um, Mal Waltrin. Really, uh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's really cool about him, though. He was always um, never kind of like stopped in being known for like doing the the bebop, hard bop sort of thing. You know, it kind of really became more expressive than that. Although he did always have that sound, even in a situation <laughs> like that, he was yeah. like that sort of Tom. Like, uh, he has to sort of address the toms in a certain way that other people, yeah. you know, kind of make, like, reserve for the background. They're just, like, sort of add-on moments to get away from the snare drum, but he kind of focuses on them in a whole different light than other drummers do. Sure. Of his, of his generation sure. and, and the generation after. Yeah. Sure. And even with the Shep coming in, it's like, uh, is it really different than, you know, him, his Tom entry on St. Thomas with Sonny Rollins, you know, it's like, it's kind of that same sort of, you know, somebody else on like, let's say on that St. Thomas track, it's like, might've gone for like a little bit more, something on the rim to sort of deal with that. But he's like, comes in with the Toms, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, where he goes to first, it's like, cause most drummers don't think that way. It's like, here's snare drum, you know? Yeah. He's like bass drum Tom, you know, right. and he hasn't. I don't think he's played a cymbal yet. <laughs> I don't yeah, think he's played a right. cymbal at all, <laughs> which is just like, wait a minute, snare drum cymbal, that's like, yeah. you know, where you go to first. Yeah, but no, that's it's kind of almost then, and yeah, dead giveaway. It's like, oh yeah, Max Roach, Tom's Tom's bass drum, that's you know, and no cymbals. We have not. Heard, I don't think we've heard cymbals at yeah, all. Yeah, you may be right. I I, I don't remember that very much. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one other thing about this um, that uh, he's doing here that kind of made me think of you uh, is I feel like he's playing a bit like below Archie Shep, just in terms of volume, just like just a notch or two below. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's just particular times I've seen you play, but I think of that as being a move I would see you do, which is like swinging hard or doing whatever, like sort of playing with it in intensity, but playing like a little, just in volume, like a little bit below people sometimes, uh, like, which is kind of an interesting, like, move. Yeah. It, do you, it, does that make sense, or is that just some random thing I saw you do one time and I associate No, I think about that a lot. Um, I mean, it's dynamic, people talk about dynamics and playing, and yeah, of course, that's a thing, but it's more, it's, you know, especially as we listen to these records and, you know, we're listening to this 
Art Blakey track just earlier, but it's like Art Blakey was a very loud drummer. Yeah. You know? And but it's hard to tell from some of these recordings. So we think, um, you know, I'll see people play and it's like, well, you know, to me it doesn't resemble what I wanted to hear because of growing up listening to records. Maybe that's wrong. But so I want to, uh, if we're going to play acoustic, it's like, oh yeah, right. That piano, it's like, if it's a small piano, it can only do a certain amount of things. That saxophone, it's like, I could like kind of make, create noise. You know, this is the th same problem with guitar players. It's like, yeah, I know you have those pedals and you can turn it up, but that's really easy. You know, it's like, man, it's like, you're going to have to learn how to do that without having the ability to adjust all this stuff. So, as well as then playing the drums. So if I can get underneath, you know, or it's like, no, I've decided now to, to basically all on top, you know. And sometimes, you know, I mean, you play these gigs with some of these saxophonists, it's like, Jesus, it doesn't matter how loud you get, you know, it's like, they'll just blow it, blow it out the water. Um, but, you know, it changes the, the sound of actually of, of the things that you're hitting and also just people's focus, you know, so you can kind of create, I love being able to think about shifting focus and how people are, one, watching, but also listening to sound. So things just all of a sudden change and music might change and people don't understand, wait, what just happened? We're in another place now. You know, that, like the idea of, of volume and supportive playing really um, is able to do that, you know. Because things that, I mean, it's like being, yeah, like, um, you know, when you go to the movies sometimes and you'll see a shot and it's like, but it's like, as it shifts focus, it's like, whoa, that's, it's a different thing, you know. And I, I enjoy that um, ability. It's a kind of a simple trick. <laughs> So, so this is obviously like some South African inspired stuff. So, I don't know, I mean, the drumming is interesting. So, I don't know, so I, make, I get, my guess would be that it's like what Louis Mahalo is. It is. So it's like what, is this like Brotherhood of Breath or something? Uh, no. Okay. Huh. But it is Johnny Niani. Oh, yeah. Or Johnny... Johnny. John, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Johnny Yeah. Oh. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that stuff... Uh, you know, this is the thing with, like... You know who... who around, I guess, around Chicago, who does... is able to do this sort of way of playing more or less sort of, like, quote-unquote, like, grooving free style is this Hamid, yeah. you know, um, it's really interesting, I mean, it's like, it's really powerful, and you can, you can tell that he's playing pretty loud, you know, um, but it's like, you know, it's got a lot of, it's got a groove, but the direction of it is like not meant to set up traditional sort of formulas, you know, it's like, there, you know, there's a couple solos kind of happening here, a couple of discussions that are, you know, and he's not necessarily playing with either one. He's just creating sort of a, a force of rhythm with, you know, within the rhythm section. Yeah. Um, Can you describe it all how he's doing that? I mean, I don't know if that's too important and technical or something. Well, I mean, how? No, actually, I like to 
know more about that. I'd almost, there's um, like with this type of stuff, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the only thing that he does, but with this, within a sort of a concept like this, it's like, it's almost as if what they're playing is like the horn players, doesn't matter. Like, it's kind of just a conversation between, you know, the, the rhythm section and the drivingness of it. I mean, this, like, for instance, you know, I mean, the, the, I mentioned how me, but him and William Parker have that sort of same sort of vibe, whether it's like the Williams Quartet or whether it's like with Broats, it's like they're just sort of going for it. Sometimes, no, there's not a, you know, a time signature towards it. Sometimes they will straight up break down into like a sort of reggae sort of groove. And this has that sort of same, you know, it kind of comes out of this sort of, this sort of, style of playing, you know, it's a very relentless rhythm section, um, and not necessarily one that's supposed to be sympathetic to what's happening with the horn players, or whoever is on, kind of on top. It creates a panic for them, you know, which brings out some traditional sort of jazz and sort of free jazz stuff, but it's definitely striving for ryth rhythmic sort of, um, I don't... Well, rhythmic domination, you know? Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. I yeah. don't mean like it's a competition. I mean that as like, this is the bed that you're going to have to sort of lay on. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, obviously, this is a piece. This is a tune. But even, it's kind of moved away from what the tune is. And they're just into, we're just playing, you know? Yeah. They'll come uh, back to the head later. Right. Yeah, it's sort of like right. a free you know that the, all the South Africans that came through—not just the South Africans, but their intermingling into, into Europe—really kind of, I think, gave the European sort of quote-unquote free jazz thing a whole new um, thing to look towards instead sure. of just the Americans. You know. Sure. Well, this is such an interesting blending of the township music with all these kind of like intense avant-garde playing. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know, considering that your uh, quartet's most recent album is called A New Kind of Dance, yeah. is obviously something that you're interested in, creating dance dance music. I mean, that township music is about a dance band. It's Quayla and all this like, it's music could possibly be, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that sort of intersection. Well, no, I mean, I, that, you know, that last record is definitely um, thinking about, yeah, like, you know, the Blue Notes, the, you know, Chris McGregor, Brotherhood of Breath, um, you know, luckily got to be around another South African, Sean Bergen, who wrote a lot of music uh, inspired by that time period, you know, uh, in South African Quayla uh, music. And so, you know, we do a couple of his pieces on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... You know, as much as like the sort of improvisers and free jazz and all this stuff, it's such a listener-heavy music, but it's like, no, there's also all this stuff that's like, it's listener-heavy, but it's also really can get, get up and, and dance, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 it's definitely something that, you know, I, I love to play in the bands that got people up to dance, you know? I don't really do it. So, you know, I'll try to get close with with some of this stuff, but yeah, I mean, there's also, I mean, what's happening, it's like, it's wild, what's, it's like these guys are on cocaine, you know, it's crazy, yeah. and I, I love it, it's like, it's a, it's a party, and I, I love it, it's like, it's a, it's a party.
Yeah, um, you know, I mean, the, there is a levity in the music that I appreciate without giving up the ability to play with the sincerity. Then also just like the, the improvisational aspects and also improvising also with the idea of composition. You know, not only, I don't necessarily mean just because here they're playing a tune, of course, but even when free playing that um, they do, I mean, I'm going to speak sort of generally, it's like the scene in, in Amsterdam, it, it tends to take a compositional direction, right. you know, finding spaces, and if you're in the, uh, a group improvisation, now your role can be supportive. <laughs> You know, and I love this about a lot of the horn players, that just because they're not sort of featured on top doesn't mean they stop playing. They find places inside of music, almost like as if, like trad music, you know, old Dixieland sort of band, like, it's not, it's about the sort of full ensemble and how you then become part of it in, in certain ways without necessarily having to be a soloist. And this is sort of sometimes my issue with like hardcore free jazz. And then it's just like this, Saxophonists, they'll just be playing and playing and playing, and um, it's like a, comp a weightlifting competition, you know, um, instead of like a, 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 a desire to have uh, an ensemble participation, you know? Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, Misha's thing, um, the idea, obviously, of improvising but dealing with composition and some closures, that whole thing um yeah it's really i mean i don't play like a soloist <laughs> you know um i was uh, when i started playing people were like well if you're going to get gigs you're going to have to be the type of drummer that's going to support people so you know being a part of an ensemble is more important to me than you know uh, being featured necessarily and whoever is going to be featured it's like you support them and you know, but also the music that like I'm interested in hearing and making, even that stuff we were listening to earlier with uh, Louis Maholo stuff. It's like it's a, an ensemble. You know, there's stuff happening across the board. You know, people have their moments in the foreground and the background and totally. in the middle of it, and I really enjoy that. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's what they mean by instant instant composition. Yeah, instant composition. But you know, and there's an idea of yeah arranging, mixing, matching, finding, borrowing, you know, um, and the, it's, the, the emphasis on prowess is a lot less, you know. Um, you I, know. Like, I like also the thing you said about sincerity and uh, mixed with levity, because I mean, Han Venick seems like the most extreme example. I mean, he's so clownish in the best, in the richest sense of the word clown. Like not just goofy, but like really like an artist as a clown. But it and it's, um, it doesn't feel like he, it's just a joke. You know, it's very it's sincere at the same time. I think that probably I, over the years, things people want him to be Han Bennett because they've seen him do some of the wacky stuff. But you know, kind of when I I see him and I see him in different places, at his best is when that's really not part of it. And he sounds still sounds great. I just saw him. A couple of weeks ago and just playing straight up tunes like jazz standards and he sounds wonderful playing that when he can really just be inside of that and not have to 
be the guy, um, you know, that's supposed to, you know, put the stick in his mouth and you know, all that stuff is amazing, you yeah. know, um, but and really fun. But um, we forget that really, there's, it's also just this regular sort of playing, and you know, you can hear it on, you know, obviously on the ICP rate recordings. But then it's like, you know, there's that what is that a George Lewis record like Dutch Masters or maybe that's a Steve Lacey. Always get those confused. Um, God, what is this? I know what this is actually. That's so you mentioned it actually already. Yeah. Oh, shit. Why am I blank? Was this is. Give me a second. Let me wait for the. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so what is this like messenger stuff? No, it's the Chicago sound. Oh, Jesus. Is this Wilbur? Yeah. Man, so, okay, let me rethink now. Um, right, so John Jenkins. It's one of the worst record. That's probably right. Right, okay. So, and is it Wilbur Campbell? Yep. Yeah. Um, maybe John Young on piano? Maybe. Uh, junior Mance. Junior Mance, right. Okay. Who's the trumpet player on this? <laughs> Trumper player on this? Not on part of this record. Oh, maybe. I, I, not on this track. Huh. Unless I'm totally confused. Yeah, I, you know. Yeah, John, John Jenkins. I've been thinking about trying to do a John Jenkins, like, like, set of John Jenkins music with people, places, and things. We've covered a bunch of his stuff, or reimagined some of his stuff. But he just keeps on popping up on all these other people's records. Um, Teddy Edwards, you know, really nice record with Kenny Burrell. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of amazing. But yeah, the, the Chicago sound, right? God damn. Um, yeah, Wilbur Campbell. I saw him a few times. I saw him play Vibes. And he's another cat that wrote really great songs. There's some really great songs that he wrote that, like, Iris Sullivan recorded, uh, Johnny Griffin recorded, um, so yeah, I mean, he was a, you know, piano player, vibes player, drummer, um, yeah. This... So let me ask you, this is, uh, just sort of an overly broad question, this album's called The Chicago Sound, is that, like, just like a cool boast, is it a marketing thing, like you mentioned earlier, with Blown In from Chicago, or is this, like, Chicago Sound, and if so, what's that sound? No, I don't think that this is... I think this is just maybe some type of... Yeah, cool marketing sort of... Because, you know, I think maybe the only thing on this that sounds... Straight up... You know, well, I'm actually... No, because all these... Pretty much everybody in this... On this that we just mentioned goes on to leave Chicago and so you know I mean 
John Jenkins really kind of known for those records, that New York records that he's on. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, speaking of Messengers, you know, Wilbur Ware doing a little stint in the Messengers, and I think actually with Iris Sullivan. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, Wilbur Campbell's the only one who doesn't, but he's kind of, you know, all those people that, uh, he was the first call person, when, you know, basically with any of those people who come to town. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that that with or this is concerned with this recording or this time period and or these group of people that I would say that there's a Chicago sound in this. I would think that that would come more into play when you're talking about, you know, maybe, maybe John Jenkins to a certain extent, the saxophonist. But probably that would come into more into effect with, with the tenor players, you know, the sound of the tenors. Um, but yeah. In what way? Because they're doing like a well, more R&B thing or what? I think uh, I think that the, the tenors, uh, the tenor players, one get wrapped up a lot more into what would become the R&B scene. There's also sort of that this. Uh, tradition that sort of came out of like the 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 bar walkers you know like people that like like Tommy Madman Jones would be an example of that somebody who would sort of delve into some R&B stuff would also sort of do these sort of R&B you know uh, Tom Archia that's another cat like that he would be one of those types of players you know it's people that would back up somebody that would be like um, you know a blues singer, an R&B blues singer, you know, um, might be on a gig with the Treneers, you know, might, you know, so they would be asked to do a lot more of that type of playing. And so you, it's kind of like a, a blues thing, but also the sound is kind of, kind of edgier and also in a strange sort of way, um, edgier, what I mean is like, <laughs> well, sometimes on the way of like, a sharpness where it's like they're the, the pushing the idea of uh, where the actual tuning is happening on the instrument, you know? That's definitely a, an idea of sound that happens with the tenors. And there aren't that many alto players that really come out of Chicago, you know? There's tons of tenor players. Is that that's the same sort of thing I associate also um, with like Von Freeman? Yeah, Von Freeman. Obviously, we listen to Clifford Jordan and Gilmore, Gene Ammons, or you know, a, a multitude of players. I mean, Eddie Harris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Neely was a you know we talked about earlier was a tenor player. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, not just tenor players, but tenor players like yeah, really being loose with pitch. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's and I think that's maybe because of. The blues, and what I mean, I don't mean necessarily Muddy Waters blues, or I mean more of like Louis Jordan sort of blues, early R&B, Charles Brown, you know, like you'd be on this session with those types of people. You got to be a full entertainer, piano player probably sang and played piano, and then you'd have to play some instrumental, you know. <laughs> so since that was probably more of a thing happening in Chicago, um, especially probably because of like migrations from people from the south coming up to get work, that type of music kind of maybe thrived a little bit more and people had to do a little bit more of that type of work. Um, so I think that maybe lends itself to sort of a sound 
taking liberties with <laughs> with it. So this is like Mingus. starts playing at a certain point. I mean, they're not going to come in with like a, a fun head or anything. Right. But yes, they're but, all going to be playing. Yeah. Because, yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay, so this is what is this art ensemble? Yeah. Yeah. Well, finally the harmonica is the giveaway for me. Right. I suppose, <laughs> you know. All right. And uh, okay, so the art ensemble, but I'm curious if this, if there actually will be drums, drums, a drummer on this. Is this before Moye? That's right. It is. It's Philip Wilson. Um, okay. I don't know who's playing these different percussion sounds. Of course, they all play it. All right. So percussion. Phil Wilson. So this is this is is it Art Ensemble or is this like Roscoe's? It's under the name Roscoe Mitchell's Art Ensemble. Okay. Or at least that's what the SOC says. I'm not sure what it said. I mean, when they. Uh huh. Which recording is this? So it's like it's released at least on CD as old slash quartet. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, this is the old this is what the band was before. Um, yeah, sixty seven is when we recorded. Right. Yeah, okay, so this is like recorded I think by Terry Martin. Um, and I think originally released uh, with liner notes by Larry Hart. That sounds right. Um, right. So this is, yes, before they go to Europe, this is the really, like, right, I guess, when they might have become, because, I mean, yeah, the art ensemble, like, kind of right before that. So this is, yeah. It's really interesting with this stuff, what's happening here, you know, maybe a year earlier, if not, you know, not too er much earlier, you know, there's the Roscoe Quartet record, which is really swinging it's like pretty much like an ornette quartet you know um al fielder on drums yeah really great recording also i think came out later just m maybe in the last few years by nessa on, uh, called before there was sound right you're right yeah um but yeah i mean this stuff come on it's like i wouldn't have been able to guess this except for the fucking the harmonica, harmonica. <laughs> part because there's nothing i mean unless i guess i if i my malachi malachi favors um you know senses were 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 better than maybe but other than that it's like we've hardly heard roscoe or lester and you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm not sure that Philip Wilson is doing any of this. I you know? have no idea. Um, I mean, there's a kick drum in there, I think. Right. No, you I know. mean, he probably he probably is doing some of this, but yeah. you know, um, but yeah, I could have. Uh, the one thing though that's also actually, if you when you sit back and think of 
there is, um, is that there is a lot more space in this. You know, even when it's like kind of dense, like we heard some stuff going on, it's like nothing is in the foreground, you know? Right. And it's like, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of space, like, dynamically, um, there's a lot of space, you know, with, you know, they're collectively making it dense, but not just one person, like, sort of an onslaught of, you know, playing. Sort of like what you were saying about the ICP? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this is being a lot more democratic. And what's how this is how it's moving? Yeah. Um, you know, it's not as yeah, it's just sort of monolithic as a lot of like sort of stuff probably you know happening, you know, in the in New York at the time, is you know. Yeah. Um, so is this loft, another? Oh, sorry. Yeah, there's sort of a loft free jazz sort of scene, you know, or. Um, so is this another type of Chicago sound, like in terms of? Well, is it connected this to actually, this, if you're talking about musical approaches as a sound, yeah, this would be a lot more um, oriented to the development of what I would, was, yeah, an antithetical sort of idea of, of improvising, free improvising. I mean, we've also heard pretty much nothing, uh, no, you know, no trace of idiom, like, you know, there's nothing to say that there's this is jazz related. There's nothing to say that right. this is, you know, related to any type of style of playing, which um, is also kind of like a, a, in itself, a thing that's happening in, in Europe. They're trying to detach in a certain way, you know, um, and create music in a certain, you know. So this kind of parallels what's happening more with European players, you know, um, and that's, yes, you mentioned Amsterdam, it's like they're the connection point, I mean, obviously this, very shortly after this recording, these guys all go to Europe, and it really starts to happen. Um, you know, we talked earlier about ICP and the, the Amsterdam scene and the levity. I mean, think, listen to this. this is, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Um, but sincerity to the nth degree. You know. Yeah. Um, Although actually, I mean, I totally agree with that. But I actually really love that this track starts with somebody, and I would guess it's Lester Bowie, like making fun of the expansive concept. Did you catch that? He says, uh, bass solo, first 45 minutes. Okay, <laughs> and right. Then, and I, you can hear them laughing, and they left that in the, in right. the recording. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's I, I, that, I, I caught a bit of it, and that's why it made me think, it's like, oh, this sounds like Mingus barking out orders oh, like yeah. the beginning. Yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. I, like saying, like, I got it. You know, <laughs> like I'm taking this over from uh, yeah. the beginning. Right, oh, right. Okay. I mean, it could have, I'm actually not sure who's saying it. It just seems like a Lester Bowie kind of joke. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, finally, finally, we're getting, there is some reference point of like, okay, these are, this, the phrasing is jazz related. You know. But nothing else is dealing with time. It's also like, you know, I mean, like you, the Ornette sort of, free jazz stuff it's like none of it is like referential to like to that either you know like free jazz like okay here's 
here goes my drummer, and I'm gonna blow, and you know, it's like, nope, nope, there's nothing soloistic about this. And it's, 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 it, it's a lot of restraint, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, people don't listen to this enough, man. People don't listen to like, I mean, this is a cool thing that I'm lucky to be able to play, uh, get to have opportunities to play with like Roscoe and like, you know, he's like, you know, silence is perfect. He's like, we can take our time, Mike. I'm like, yeah. okay. You yeah. know, like yeah. those, the, still the same ideas is what's happening here, yeah. you know? Right. And that's, uh, yeah, he's been working on it for a very long time. Um, and it's like, yeah, this is, people don't listen to that enough, to that approach. Now, obviously, they can get into some serious, furious, you know, improvising, like, you know, very intense, you know, screaming, dense, loud, rhythmic, grooving, every bit of it. Yes. Um, but, you know, a big, you know, place that nobody goes to is this sort of space. Like, and I literally mean space. There's a lot of space a lot of time to take to get through trying to make a gesture you know um, yeah it's it's very powerful you know because it's kind of like if you 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 know it's sort of like uh, wearing somebody out in a long fight you know it's like you're gonna go like you know 11 rounds it's like okay but you know this other person wants to come out swinging and you're just like take my time yeah and you know okay here's where we our moment is boom yeah you know so is the person is it them fighting the listener in that sense well no i just antagonistic no no i just mean that as like a as as a a way to sort of describe this idea of taking one's time and that compared to maybe somebody else that you might be playing with or even i guess an audience like needing like this you know it's like it's like go 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 it's like okay I see and and I can I don't have to just answer back with this you know so that can make it very powerful is what I'm saying yeah. so like that approach is opposed to the opposite end you know the fury for furious style of playing it's like yeah and, you know people can get worn out and uh, and that can allow for something that's that delicate to sort of be even stronger than it you know yeah anyway um, yeah. It strikes me that it's very, like, theatrical in the sense of, like, like watching a theater piece or some kind of, something where you would be sitting down silently for 45 minutes, you know, basically 45 minutes, like you're sitting there and being like, okay, all my attention is on you, as opposed to even, like, like you say, like, we're not free jazz, like, it's not like you, it would be on the radio, but it could be on the radio. It's like it could be a thing that came on, you're like, oh, yeah, that too, cool. Right. Like it, it, it gives it to you right away, whereas this doesn't give it to you. It gives it to you over a very long well, time. Well, and it may not give it to you at all. You know, <laughs> we're not sure. Yeah. We have no idea. You know, um, and that that sometimes is. <laughs> yeah, it sometimes is like okay, and that's done. Like you know, you can sit there and ha- have this gig, have this. All right, and that's done. It's like, whoa, that, is that done? Are they done? Is this over? You're like, fuck, really? That's what, it's like, yeah. It's like, this isn't, you know, you know, if you wanted a big bang at the end, you know, it's like, well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. We're, we, we went through this, the moves, and then we arrived here, and now we're, it's over. Yeah.
Yeah, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting to make sure that I, well, what I think it is. I think it's what it's sure. Huh? I think it's what it's sure. But it's nothing wrong with wrong. <laughs> I may be wrong. Well, what do you think it is? I think it's shellac. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, it, yeah. Well, uh, you know, Albini is, brings the heat, I suppose, yeah. you know? <laughs> it brings the guitar tone too. Yeah, sure. that's right. It's just like un unapologetic, like you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is obviously a very different type of Chicago sound. But just because we had that conversation that one time about touch and go, I figured I'd throw this at you too. Yeah, I mean, shit. It's um, I think that you know the, the one of the great things about. Chicago is sort of an ability to sort of invent yourself in a way. Um, it's, you know, I mean, the art ensemble, the AECM, that whole thing, you know, it couldn't have sort of happened anywhere else. It's not really, you know, a, a great time period of music in Chicago. I mean, you know, the late 80s, you know, really, I would say up to the late 90s, maybe maybe up until 2000, maybe. But um, a lot of people, you know, starting really in the early 80s, but really coming into fullness in the, by the late 80s, um, being kind of unapologetic about different ideas of how to make music, not being interested in what's uh, coming out of mainstream sort of sources. Right. Uh, and just really kind of doing it themselves, you know. I mean, I hate to throw the DIY thing out there, but um, so like Chicago is kind of perfectly made for it because yeah. it's, I mean, the city in itself is already, it's sort of in the water, you know, if you have, you know, your, you know, your Robert Byrne, uh, you know, uh, settlers like Marshall Fields coming out from the East Coast and creating their own fortunes out here. Uh, it's kind of part of how the city sort of works and people live in the city. Um, uh, you know, obviously when we talk about like great migration sort of moments and, you know, things like, you know, I mean, Louis Armstrong really becomes a star being in Chicago. The Austin High Gang becomes it learns about trying to make jazz by going to see him and create, you know, uh, the AACM springs out of, you know, a need, desire to create its own situations. And, you know, the labels like Touch and Go, Drag City and Thrill Jockey and all the ones that sprung up, Bad of Stick and, you know, Truck Stop and Carrot Top, like all those, you know, um, not being afraid to say it's like we can just we'll just do this yeah you know we're going to do it ourselves and there's also you know that strong history too like you know the whole record row sort of thing the blues uh, and soul labels you know that these people making literally it's like we're going to make our, our own records um, and our own companies out of that so it's kind of so built into it that you know this time period when um you know i think the idea what really comes back after all the small labels across the country sort of get bought up and becomes, you know, like a much more corporate sort of things of making records, the reaction is basically what this is, you know, this time period. Um, 
you know, and then somebody like Albini being sort of right in the forefront of, you know, being asked to record his friend's records and kind of getting good at it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden being very good at it and being yeah. asked by some of the biggest, you know, artists around the world to record his record. And, and yeah. it's also been a, a big, for me, it's like it, knowing that that's there is very influential to say, uh, start your own, you know, I mean, it's in the same traditions to start your own businesses, start your own possibilities to say that you can also affect um, people out there from the confines of Chicago. Yeah. So, you know. I've never been able to play uh, drums like that. Yeah. And even when I've wanted to, it's just like, ugh, it's, I don't know, I think that I might have had to get that a long time ago when I was young, this yeah. sort of the, the ability to attack the, the kit that way. Yeah. Um, which what's amazing about his playing is that he, it's like it is like attacking it, but it's very precise. Very, you know, it's not like just like a, a Keith Moon thing. It's also not like a John Bonham sort of. It's like its own sort of like really well crafted sort of like rock style drumming. I mean, and, you know, you were talking about like uh, bands like Don Cab, or you know, then there's you know bands like Deerhoof or bands like the. Um, battles like they like that sort of approach is very specific very a technique out in a certain in a certain way it's very proficient yeah. rock and roll drumming yeah. you know it's not sloppy bar band rock and roll no, drumming no, you know it's not leave on helms rock and roll drumming no it's not you know uh, yeah it's not keith moon you know it's like straight yeah. things got to stay tight everything yeah. it's keeping everything together everything is hinging on it you know mm -hmm. So it's like you hang everything on those parts. It's like, and yeah. if you don't hit at the right time, forget it. I can give you a hand. Are there two drummers? Uh, it, it's it's got to be a studio recording, so there might be possible percussionists. There's a drummer and a trumpet player. Oh, this is, this is Rob. This isn't Rob? <laughs> There's somebody ripping off. Yeah. Oh, is this is Kuba? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he rips off Rob. <laughs> so, so, so this is Kuba and Archer. Yeah. The, the micro collective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, this is super so um, Missouric influence. Totally. Um, yeah, I was, the one main thing I wanted to ask you about this is that it's, um, this strikes me as too. Polish guys being like, we're making a Chicago record. Is, um, that, is that just my perspective, or is that, is that, does that make sense? No, that's pretty... I mean, I don't... Would I say that that's what they're saying? No, but that is what they're doing. Um, but very specifically, what, you know, they're, they're very much, um, they're very much in, influenced by... Um, Missouri, you know, the isotope, tortoise, um, the post-rock thing. And, you know, they became friends with a lot of those guys. And, yeah, that's, like, the music that really speaks to them. Um, so, you know, going back to sort of that great time, like, a great time period of Chicago music, it's like this bit of it touched these guys, you know. Yeah. And so, yes, you know, I mean... Very much so. They're, that's what they're doing. They're making music influenced by, by that 
well, it's still an ongoing time period. Those people are still making records and making really nice records. But yeah, it's completely influenced by that yeah. style of Chicago music, that time period. There's been time periods of things happening in Chicago that do influence. I don't necessarily know that we're in one right now. Um, if we are, maybe it would be like hip-hop or something right now. Right now, there's a good time period for hip-hop in Chicago. But it's not like one musical sort of thing and one musical approach, which is also kind of very Chicago. <laughs> it's not like demonstratively one type of music that's coming from there. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that it looms over. Like, no, I think there's been time periods that have. You know, from my standpoint, I'm more interested in trying to say, even if we're not in a time period where that's happening, that that doesn't mean that things should not continue to be good for the environment. Sometimes it needs to be propped up slightly more artificially. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean artificially? I mean artificially meaning it's like you can't make a scene happen. You can't like, oh, let's have the next, you know, rock post-rock sort of, you know, moment. It's like, no, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I guess mostly what I'm talking about is like series that I've done and venues. A lot of the rea that's reaction to what happens if the scene isn't happening. People go away and all of a sudden you audience diminish and then you don't have the possibility for a new development and, and you know music, artistic sort of ideas. So then you got to kind of like artificially tinker with it <laughs> to try and make it make things possible.
phone over here. I am. Cool. Are you recorded all that? Oh well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'll delete. Don't worry. I'll, I'll delete. <laughs> this is not. I was, yeah, if I had like investigative journalism, like gotcha, you know, did you know that Mike Reed? Yeah. Well, no, I would not. Um, I'll delete anything you want me to. Hey, do. you know what? It would just be a few more people that won't ask me for gigs. So <laughs> yeah.